Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, but I want to invite you to join me in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Today we are beginning a new sermon series in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that was preached over 2,000 years ago, a sermon that still changes the way who people, that people who follow Jesus live today. Now, as you're opening your Bible, I just want you to think about something with me for a moment. There are some passages in the Bible that are very difficult to understand. And if you were with us a few months ago when we studied through the book of Daniel, uh, you, you know that there were some passages that we looked at, especially in the second half of that book, that were very difficult to understand. And yet, when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, it's not so difficult to understand, but it's very difficult to apply. There are things in this series that are going to be very challenging, and there's probably going to be somewhere along the way where you're going to say, wow, I thought I was pretty good the way I was living my life until Jesus said that and kind of ruined the party a bit for me. And what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount is he's going to show us what it means to live as kingdom citizens around our church uh, We have a pretty big building, and we always have projects that need to be done, things that need to be fixed, remodeling that needs to take place, and we just want to keep up with things, uh, kind of maintain this building. Well, the other day, uh, there were some guys who were doing some work on the bell tower, uh, kind of tuck-pointing it a bit, and we actually have a picture of this, but they parked their car, they parked their truck, out on the side of the street here on 94th Street, and we're getting things ready for the day when I came walking from our house to the church. And I I did not tell them who I was at first. I just asked them a few questions about what it is that they were doing. And one of them says, so who are you? I mean, do you live around the neighborhood or something? And I said, well, I actually am one of the pastors here of the church. And all of a sudden, he gets this really serious look on his face, and he says, you know what? We're going to do the best job on this on this bell tower. And by the time we get done, we're, we're going to do it better than if the man upstairs himself would have done it. Now, my first thought was, uh, is there a way that we could get a guarantee on that? Because if he did it, we'd never have to have any work done again on this thing. Now, the man upstairs is not really my favorite term to be used of God. But when I think about what it is that we're reading here and what we're going to be studying over the next number of months, this is really about God when he came downstairs, if you will, when he took on human flesh, when he said, you know what, not only is this the way that I'm going to live, but this is how I'm calling my followers to live as well. This is a call for discipleship. This is a reminder that no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus Christ, there is a little bit more that you can do. There's still areas in your life where you can grow. And so as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, I want us to think just a little bit about this like this, that this is the the kingdom standard in a confused culture, a kingdom standard in a confused culture. What Jesus is going to give us here in these three chapters is that we're going to be looking at is, this is the kingdom standard. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus in a culture that does not follow Jesus. Now, as you think about this, I want to ask a question here. You know, is our culture confused about what it means to follow Jesus? 
Yes, absolutely. There are people at times who want to associate with Jesus, but they don't really want to follow him. They want to be able to call on him when they're in trouble, but they don't want to be too close where they can actually hear his heartbeat, where they could follow in his footsteps, where they could do what it is that he is doing. And so I think that it's so important for us today that regardless of what's going on around us as Christians, we need to know and understand where our citizenship is from. We belong to King Jesus. Our citizenship is in heaven. And while we want to be the best citizens of the United States of America that we possibly can be, we also know this, that our code of ethics does not come from anything other than the one who made us. And so for for us, we need to ground ourselves in the way that Jesus sets out for us to live. And here in this sermon, he says, listen, I'm going to give you a new way to live. I'm going to give you a new way to think. If you are going to follow me, then you're going to turn everything upside down and you're going to have this countercultural guide to living in my kingdom. What Jesus is doing here is he's showing us how to live in the midst of a world that is full of chaos and confusion. And he is saying, if you want to stand firm, if you want to be unshaken in the midst of difficult, challenging, and complicated times, then you need to do this. Put these things into practice. Friends, we cannot just hear these words, but we have to put action behind them. In fact, the words of Jesus here are the, sta- uh, the, are the standard to which discipleship should ultimately, disciples should ultimately strive to live. Let me say that again. The words of Jesus here are the standard to which disciples should ultimately strive to live. Listen, as we go through this, I am sure that there are going to be times where you're going to say, you know what, I, I, there's no way that I could possibly keep these things perfectly. And yet, this is the goal. And it is far better, it's a far better path than the alternative, right? If God is telling you through Jesus' words here that it is unhealthy to have pent-up anger running deep inside your heart, and you think to yourself, well, there's no way that I can keep that perfectly, so what do you do? Do you just give up then? No! What you do is you lean in on that, and you say, God, I want you to grow me. God, I want you. I want to be more like you. I want to experience the new life that is found in Jesus Christ. And so today we are going to talk about how to truly be happy by looking at the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5 here. Now, I bet that most of you here this morning would say, listen, um, I want a little bit more happiness in life. And maybe someone would even say, well, you know, it's not so much about happiness as it is about joy. But but I think these two things are very closely connected to each other, that they're very similar. And in our text this morning, Jesus is going to give us five, uh, nine different, uh, uh, he's going to say nine different times one specific word. And it's the word blessed. Blessed are you if you do this. Blessed are you if you do that. And the word blessed means happy. You'll be happy if you do these things. You'll be happy if you apply these words. You'll be happy if you have this type of an attitude. Jesus wants to teach us how to have a blessed life. In fact, 
you can see it here for yourself here. I want you to see it for yourself. And, and just to kind of set the scene, we're going to look at the first two verses here. I want to read them for you. Matthew chapter 5, it says this. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... Now, let me stop there for just a second. I want you to just imagine this, kind of picture this, what this would have been like for a moment here, that Jesus is standing there, all these people are, are, and I imagine that probably what's going through your mind is that Jesus is standing, that all these people are just kind of sitting around him, just on the edge of their seats, listening to his every word. But there's something about this passage that I I want you to see here once. First of all, we actually have an image of of this, and I want you to imagine following Jesus as you're walking behind him. You're going up this mountain. There's a, a picture here of this scene uh, so that you can kind of uh, imagine this for a moment, but there's something else. And I, I just want to take a moment here to have us do this the way that Jesus did this, okay? And so um, I'm going to ask you to do something, and I want you to do it, but I want you to stand up with me for a moment, because, uh, uh, and you can put, keep your Bibles in your hands if you want, whatever it is, but just stand up with me for a moment, if you will, and then I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to sit down on these steps. Now, I want you to imagine doing this for the rest of the sermon now, that I'm sitting and you're standing, because that's what Jesus did. And I know that uh, some of you are thinking, well, there's no way that I'm ever going to do this. I mean, if, if I have to stand the entire service, I'm going to find another church to go to. Listen, we're not going to make you do this the whole time, but uh, I want you to just think about this for a moment. Because this is what was happening. Jesus went and he sat down. The people, they stood and listened to him teach and preach. And so... Um, that, that's kind of the feel of what's going on here as we enter into this study of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, you can sit back down <clears throat> and I'll come stand back up. <laughs> but Jesus is just kind of starting out his ministry and he's gathering his disciples. He's gathering those who are following him. And he says, hey, um, uh, you know, these people are following after him. And they're saying, what's this guy going to say? What's this guy going to do next? And so he comes up on this mountain. All these disciples gather around him. And they're listening to what he's about to say. In the crowd are people who are devoted to Jesus. People who have been chosen as disciples. In the crowd are people who are curious. And they are wondering, what's this guy really all about? And so as Jesus begins here, he says, you know what, if you want to follow me, this is what it looks like. And he starts to, uh, he starts in a very unusual way as he talks here. He, he starts out um, by saying some things that we would never expect him to say, especially when you're getting ready to start this big movement. He starts out by saying, happy are the poor. Now, You read that and you think, come on, Jesus. I mean, if you want a lot of followers, you're not going to get a lot of followers by saying that. You you know, that's not something that somebody's going to put on a T-shirt and kind of represent you with. Or that's not something that you're going to post on social media, right? But Jesus begins this great sermon by giving this list of things that might seem to be a bit odd. And he says, hey, you know what? You You want to have a happy life? This is what you do. If you want to be happy in life. Verse 3 is where we start. 
And so you can follow along, and here's what the Word of God says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, if you ever wanted to start a, a, to gather a group of followers, this is certainly not the way that you would start out, right? I mean, blessed are, are, are all of you who are miserable out there. Come and join the rest of us who are miserable folks. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are, the, are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are the persecuted. You think, Jesus, I, I don't think that this is the way that happiness comes. But, but I would ask you, well, is your way working out any better for you? I mean, if you think about, if you think that this way is crazy and, and you don't want to follow this, how is your way working out for you? Because if it's not working out for you, then maybe at least you should give another way a try. Maybe you should at least give God's way a try for a moment, right? So Jesus starts out here and he says, the poor in spirit will receive the kingdom of heaven, the poor in spirit. Now, again, this is not what how I would have said this. This is not how I would have thought about beginning to bring together a group of people. I, I might have imagined something like this. Blessed are the wealthy in spirit. But, but Jesus doesn't say that. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. When Jesus says this, he is not saying that we need to be depressed and think that everything is bad and awful all of the time. Being poor in spirit is actually talking about our spiritual condition. And it's saying this, I know that I don't have it all together. That's how it starts. That following Jesus is admitting that I don't have it all together. That's how we begin. And so you think about this and you know you say, well, that doesn't make any sense because... Uh, you know, really, I, I, I come to church and it feels like the church always is teaching us that, that we do have, I do have it together. But, but how is that working out for you? How, how does it make you feel when there are certain areas in your life where you're struggling and you haven't felt welcome because you thought that you had to have it all together? Jesus says, listen, before you try to apply anything else that I'm about to say over the next few chapters, you just need to know this, that you don't have it all together. If you want to receive the kingdom of heaven, you need to understand, you have to admit that you don't have it all together. In fact, friends, listen, you don't have to have it all together in order to be accepted by God. I don't care what the Pharisees in your life have told you. If you are waiting around to clean up your act before you have a relationship with God, you will be waiting around your entire life and you will totally miss it. 
Jesus comes to us in our sin, in our despair, and he is gathering together a group of people, not who have it all together, but who realize that they are poor in spirit. We, we don't have to have it all together. We, we, we don't have it all together. We struggle. We, we are dysfunctional. If you think that you need to have it all together in order to come to church, well, you're wrong. Friends, listen, I don't care how much you have messed up in your life. I I don't care about the regrets that you've had in your past or the kind of rap sheet that you have from from the past. I, I am here to say this, that God is not through with you yet. And we're not giving up on you either if God hasn't given up on you. And so... If God hasn't given up on you and and he has better days in store for you, then where do those better days start? Well, it all starts by admitting that you don't have it all together, that you haven't arrived yet, that you need Jesus. And a place where you can grow in him, a place where you can experience life with other people who don't have it all together is right here in the church. Because we are a bunch of people who are trying to follow the one who is perfect And we're not. Friends, before we try to understand anything else in this sermon from Jesus, we need to understand that the gospel and being part of the kingdom is this. We need a savior. And so if you've never been able to admit that before, today you can. Admitting that you don't have it all together, admitting that you are poor in spirit can start you down a path with Jesus Christ. There's a second thing that Jesus says here, and it's found in verse 4. He says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Now, let me just tell you something here. This is not emotionalism. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I'm not much of a crier. (laughs) I mean, I don't get emotional about much of anything. In fact, I, I thought that there was a time that I actually was crying, but I, I was mistaken. I actually had st- something stuck in my eye. And, and on the other hand, there are others of you who maybe cry all the time. You cry over everything. Every time you turn around, you're crying about something. You're the type of person who says, you know what? Every now and then, I just need a good cry. And my thought is, well, are you serious? Because I just don't understand that. The, the fact is that we are all very different. But Jesus here is not talking about emotionalism. He is not talking about being emotional for emotional sake. This is very, very different. It is mourning something and mourning something that deserves to be mourned. Now, I want you to to just think about this once. Jesus had said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now he says, blessed are those who mourn. What what do you think he's talking about? What what do you think he's talking about when he's talking about mourning here? Is he talking about having a a bad day and you're mourning over that? I don't think so. I I think he's saying, blessed are those who mourn the fact that they don't have it all together. You see, there is this progression happening here. that, That we need to start in a place where we say, you know what? God loves me even though I don't have it all together. But, but I, I, I'm not going to just blow this off and not care about it either. I am going to mourn the fact that I am a sinner, that I don't have it all together. In fact, I, I think it's good for us to start in that place that we admit that things are not the way they ought to be in our lives or in this world. 
That, that we look at our lives and we look at the sinful habits and the temptations that we struggle with. We look at this world and we see the wickedness and the rebellion of the human heart that's all around us. And that should cause us to mourn. Doesn't mean that we just lay on our beds all day long for hours on end and just cry our eyes out. But have you ever looked at what is happening in the world today and been brokenhearted about that? Have you ever looked at yourself and said, wow, why am I doing this? Why did I just do this? And then have you had this mourning within you? Have you mourned about that? As followers of Jesus, we need to admit that things aren't the way they ought to be. That they're not the way they ought to be in our lives or in this world. This reminds me of what Jesus did in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. He's coming toward the city of Jerusalem and he just weeps over it. He, he's mourning. And what is he mourning over? He is mourning over the fact that he had been among them and yet they did not understand it. They did not get it. He was in the midst of them and, and they, they, they didn't recognize him for who he was. And I think that if we're honest, some of the things that we've experienced over this past year have been very revealing about what it is that, that, where it is that we really are. In fact, I wonder, when was the last time where you looked at your life and you said, God, you know what, I'm thankful that you love me the way that I am. But at the same time, I'm not okay with staying right where I'm at right now. And, and I'm mourning over that. I want to know you better and I want the other people around me to know you better, God. The third thing that he says here is that the meek will inherit the earth. Verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And doesn't that sound kind of odd? Doesn't that sound kind of wrong to you? Because naturally, what, what do we think? Who do we think is going to take over and rule the earth? Uh, we don't think that the, the meek are going to inherit the earth. It's the person who's going to come in with this, on this powerful horse that, with all this strength and say, you know what, I'm taking over, I'm taking no prisoners. But where do we find Jesus on Palm Sunday? When he comes into Jerusalem, he has the biggest following that he's ever had in his whole entire life up to that point. And yet, he, he, what's he riding in on? He's riding in on a donkey. Friends, that's not a war horse because his kingdom is very different than what we typically think of. His kingdom is not taking over by force, but rather his kingdom is taking over by the hearts of people who, are yielded them, who have yielded themselves to him. We don't use the word meek very often, but it means to be modest or faithful, patient, humble. And typically, when we think of people being successful in this world, we think of them as being loud and assertive. That... that, that no one, is looking, uh, no one is looking out for you, and so you better look out for yourself. But Jesus says, blessed are the meek, because they're the ones who are going to inherit the earth. It's a countercultural way of living, that you don't have to prove yourself to anyone in this world. And that should be very liberating to you this morning. You don't have to prove yourself to anyone. Why? Well, because you're already approved by God. That Jesus loves you the way that you are, train wreck and all. You are loved. And so to be proud and arrogant, to assert yourself is to say, you know what? 
I have to prove myself by what it is that I do. But the meek person would say, I'm loved by God, even though I'm poor in spirit, and even though I deserve to mourn over the bad things that I, that I do, the bad things that are going on around me. But because God loves me, I don't have to assert myself. I don't have to prove myself to anyone. Why? Because I am already loved by God, who would send his son to die on the cross for me. I, I mean, what other validation do you need in life? He loves you the way that you are. The attitude of the meek person is, I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to push my agenda because God loves me and his love is enough. Fourth quality that Jesus talks about here is in verse uh, 6. And he says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those hungering and thirsting for righteousness will be satisfied. Now, I find this one very interesting because a number of, of you, if you're anything like me, uh, you, you grew up in the church um, as well, and you, you didn't really have a say in the matter as to, to whether you were going to be going to church or not. Your parents took you, they told you you were going to go to church, and so you went. But a lot of times when you come from a background like that, you can feel like people just expect that you have it all together. And so you don't really hunger and thirst for righteousness because you've got everything together already. You don't need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. You, you act as if the, the things that are going on in, in your life, that there's nothing really bad happening, that there's nothing going on at work, there's nothing going on in the relationships that you're involved in, there's nothing going on in your home. In fact... Some of you are, uh, have had even a difficulty here this morning. I mean, maybe on the way to church this morning, you were just fighting and, and, and you were having this really difficult relational clash with somebody. And, and you pull up to the side of the church here and as soon as you pull up, everything magically got better, right? Praise the Lord, hallelujah, life's never been better. You put on this uh, show acting as if you're just fine when things are not fine. Jesus says, well, if you want to be happy, then you need to stay hungry. You need to stay thirsty. What, what are you hungry and thirsty for? For righteousness. None of us has it all together, and we should not pretend as if we do. Listen, I've been walking with the Lord for almost 40 years now, and I praise God that I'm not the way I used to be. But at the same time, I still have a long, long way to go. And if I'm going to grow, if I'm going to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness, then, then, then I need to keep at it. I need to keep moving forward. I need to keep, keep pressing in on that. I need to not give up. Today is the day of salvation. Today is a gift from God, and we need to keep moving towards Him. We need to stay hungry. We need to stay thirsty for the right type of thing. Reminds me a little bit of our house and having four kids who are growing and teenagers in our home. And, uh, you know, occasionally we get to go out to eat as a family. Sometimes uh, when we go out to eat, we'll get appetizers and, we'll, and everybody gets their own meal and they'll eat everything on their plates. They'll, they'll wipe it all clean. And I think, wow, great. They're full, right? Listen, that's wrong. <laughs> If you have teenagers, you know it's wrong. If, they, if you've gone out to eat, it doesn't matter how much food they eat. As soon as we get back home, 
They go straight for the cupboard. They go straight for the fridge. And they open it up and they say, I'm hungry. What can I eat? And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? You just ate. I mean, this is like a bottomless pit here. Jesus is saying, don't be complacent. Don't be complacent. You made some progress. That's great. But stay hungry. Stay pursuing after me. Keep pursuing after righteousness. Why? Because if you do that, you will be satisfied. Verse, or, uh, uh, verse number seven is the fifth thing that Jesus says here. Verse seven, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. The merciful will receive mercy. Here's what I know about mercy, friends. Mercy is contagious. When you realize that you did not get what you deserve, you're a lot more likely to not give people what they deserve. And I want you to just think about this for a moment. If you are in Christ, did God give you what you deserve? No, he did not. And in fact, don't ever ask God to give, it, give you what it is that you deserve because you will regret that. You'll regret that you ever said that. When I say, God, thank you so much that you did not give me what I deserve, how can I then turn around to someone else and say, okay, now I'm going to give you what it is that you deserve? I've been forgiven so much, my record has been washed clean, and so how can I possibly turn to someone else and hold it against them? And so when we begin to appreciate the mercy that we've received, that Jesus went to the cross and died in our place, how can we then not extend forgiveness and mercy and grace to others who have done far less to us? You say, well, Jason, you just don't understand. You don't understand what he said to me. You don't understand what he did to me. Really? Did, you, did they crucify your, your sinless son? Because that's what God forgave you of. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Psalm 103 and verse 12, he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Jeremiah 31 and verse 34 He remembers your sins no more. Friends, how can we experience that type of forgiveness and yet fail to offer it to others who have done far less to us? Do you realize that somebody's testimony might be that you showed mercy in a practical way to them and by doing that, they finally now understand God's mercy. Listen, I understand that there is hurt and that there is pain and that there are people who have wronged you. But when you stay bitter, who does that affect more? Does it affect them more or does that affect you more? Because what I have found is that there are people who are dead and in the grave and they still have a hold on people who are walking around today because there's never been forgiveness that has taken place. We've received mercy We need to extend that same kind of mercy to others as well. Number six, it's found in verse eight, where it says, Blessed are the poor in heart, or the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart will see God. 
You don't have to settle for external religious activity. It's not saying that the, that the pure in actions will see God. And why not? Why, why, why doesn't it say that? Because, because the Pharisees will come along and they will be pure in actions, but at the same time, their hearts are far from God. And there are a lot of church people that I know who are pure in their actions, and yet their hearts are d- disgusting and vile. And he says, you know what? If you really want to see God, then you have to have this purity of heart. And some of you here this morning might be struggling and you're saying, you know what, I I just don't feel like I'm able to see God the way I used to. Could I just say this? Possibly, possibly you've been allowing these impurities to block your vision a bit. There, There could be other reasons, but are you allowing impurities into your life that is keeping you from seeing God clearly? You know, if you take a diamond in your hand and you just hold it there, at times it can look like it is perfect, no matter how closely you look at it. But, but, but if you take that diamond and you, you take that same diamond, you put it under a microscope, and you can see all of the impurities, you can see all of the imperfections, that when the light hits that diamond, those impurities uh, distort the light. Well, in our lives, we operate in much the same way. If we allow impurities into our lives, then we don't shine the way that we were intended to shine. But when those impurities are removed from our lives, then we see God more clearly. Friends, listen, sin is a big deal. Every sin is a big deal. Not just other people's sins, but your sins. Those impurities are blocking your view of God. Number seven, verse nine, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. The the peacemakers are children of God. Now, the reality is, is that most of us are happy with being peaceful as long as other people are peaceful to us. But Jesus doesn't talk about the peace receivers. He talks about the peacemakers. You say, well, you know what? I just can't be peaceful with that person because I've tried, but they just argue all the time. They're always trying to fight with me. When I think about this, I'm reminded of Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. And it says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, live at peace with everybody. Now, there are some cases where it is not possible to live at peace with certain individuals and they're looking for a fight every time that they turn around. But as far as it depends on you, you make every effort to live at peace with people. Jesus says, you want to be happy? You want to live the blessed life? Then be a peacemaker. Do what you can to make peace. And what stops you from that? Well, being bitter and angry and frustrated and expecting the other person to make the first move. But Christ would call us to something that is better. We we don't have to promote bitterness and anger. If you have something against someone or someone has something against you, then be the bigger person and go to them. Try and rectify the situation. Do what you can to be a peacemaker. Why? Because that's what Christ has done for you. The eighth thing that Jesus says here 
is that the persecuted can find joy and await a reward. If you're persecuted, as hard as that might be, you can still find joy. And part of the reason why you can find joy in the midst of persecution is because you are, a, are awaiting a reward. Verses 10 through 12 say this. Blessed are those who, persecute, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now that sounds so ridiculous, right? I mean, you want the happy life? Let people persecute you. You think, there is no way I'm letting that happen. This is not something that anybody wants to sign up for. But what's he saying here? Jesus starts off by saying, well, the, pure, the poor in spirit will receive the kingdom. And now he, he ends by coming back to this and he says, you know what? Um, when you're persecuted, the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. And it's kind of like there's this bookend here to this section. He says, you can have joy in the midst of persecution because you can be assured of this. That there is a reward awaiting you in heaven. And there are other people who have gone through this as well and made it. And remember this. You're being persecuted on account of Jesus. You see, sometimes you wonder why your neighbors and your co-workers and your family members and your friends are so angry at you. It's not so much that they're angry at you, but they just don't like God. And you're the closest thing to him. And Jesus says... Keep pursuing after righteousness and you will find joy in the midst of persecution as you await the ultimate reward of eternity in heaven with me. Friends, listen. Our world is obsessed with happiness and living the good life. And people will do all sorts of things. They'll try all kinds of things. They'll go to all kinds of lengths in order to find happiness. The problem is that this world cannot provide ultimate happiness In fact, maybe you're here this morning and you've experienced just that. That you have tried all of these different ways and they have just led to more difficulties and discouragement, misery, chaos, confusion. Well, Jesus offers a better way. He offers a way that that is foreign to this world, but a way that brings joy and a reward that is going to last for all of eternity. If you want to experience the blessed life, if you want to experience happiness then you need to live in the way that God has called you to live through the words of Jesus here. And my prayer is that over the next few months, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount together, that we will be able to see progress in our lives as we study his words and as we put them into practice in our everyday lives. Let's pray.